0: I never get tired of singing that song. Amen, amen. If you have not received one of these brochures yet, would you raise your hand and the ushers will be uh, able to get you one. I'd like for you to be able to see that. And uh, this is a little something that we're looking at this summer as we're taking a look at who we are as Calvary Church and where we're headed. And, and um, on the front... It says, knowing Christ and making Him known, and how at Calvary we're committed to loving God and passionately reaching into the world with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ by encouraging one another to serve Him, and so it's this encouraging each other that comes from Hebrews chapter ten, and so we're encouraging each other to serve Him, and and to be part of the serving God in the purposes that He has. For the church in the world. And so uh, we're we're excited at looking through this. We've been looking through it over the last three or four weeks now. We're going to continue on that as we're in a summer of encouragement, a summer of encouragement. And um, so uh, we've looked at that a little bit. Terry, we got some up here and this is great. All right. Now everybody's going to have one in their Bibles, right? Those of you who had them before, I'm sure have them all memorized. Yes, we're in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11 today, and when we think about knowing Christ and making him known, I think the one church that comes to my mind is the church that we'll be looking at today in Acts chapter 11. They knew Christ and made him known in such a way that it changed everything, their, everything that people knew. And so we're looking at Acts chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, He was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Lord God, as we look at this text today, I pray, Lord, that you'd let Scripture read us. Help our hearts to be ready to hear what you have to say into our lives so that we can be shaped more and more into the men and women that you've designed for us to be. God, we know that you have an amazing plan for this world. You are seeking redemption You came to seek and save those who were lost, and now you're doing that through us. So let this scripture change our lives so that we can go from this place different because we've been in your presence. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on this place today. I pray this in your name, Holy Spirit and Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Knowing Christ and making him known. A summer of encouragement. From our text today, the big idea we see is this, that vibrant community that enables the church to flourish and grow needs encouragement, needs encouragers. So if we're going to be part of a vibrant community that enables a church to flourish and grow, we need encouragers. And so that's what we're looking at today, and it's the idea that flows from the text here. Now, some background. The church that we're being talked about here is the church in Antioch. I have a map here for you. And it helps you understand that this area that's in purple is pretty much the area that's the size of the church as uh, as we look at the end of the second century. But as we look at just in the very beginning, we're looking at this area right in here. And Israel's in this area. And then you go up, and here's Antioch right here. So this is the church we're talking about. Now, Antioch doesn't look like anything all that great on that map. But you see, Antioch was the capital of the Seleucid Empire. You're like, well, what's the Seleucid Empire? Well, in that period in between the Testaments, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that intertestamental period, there were a lot of things happening. Now, God wasn't speaking through prophets, but God was still working, amen? And so God was getting things ready because you'll remember that in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And God had a plan for how he would prepare the world to be ready to receive the Savior at just the right moment. And so in this intertestamental period, Alexander the Great came into power. You probably know that name. He was, he was a Greek and he came into power and established the Greek empire. And he didn't have a very good succession plan. He didn't think he was going to die as early as he did. He died in his 30s, and so he didn't have time to put in place a succession plan. So there was no successor. So his empire was divided up by his generals. And there were the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And so the Ptolemies had part of the empire, and the Seleucids had the part that contained the Holy Land in this area here. And the capital of the Seleucid Empire was Antioch. Antioch was named after the general of Seleucids. His father's name was Antiochus. So the name Antioch, named after that. Isn't that fascinating? Aren't you glad you came? I I don't know. I love stuff like that because I think it really helps us understand that in the midst of all of this, God's preparing a way. And when the Romans came and took over that empire and captured even more, what happened was we have... We have the Greek language that has now become commonly known throughout this whole area, and then we have the Roman system of organization and roads, and so the church is able to spread. So Antioch would have been a major city. It would have been the third largest city in the Roman Empire, behind Alexandria, Rome, and then Antioch. Now just to get our bearings here, here's Jerusalem, of course, here's Antioch, here's Cyrene, which some men from Cyrene and from Cyprus, which Cyprus, which is this island, they're the ones who went into Antioch and began to tell the truth of the gospel to the Greeks. Prior to this, the gospel had only been spoken to the Jews. Scripture tells us in this area. You remember Romans 1:12. Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe." To the Jew first and also to the Gentile, to the Greek. So all of a sudden, these men, and they were probably there at Pentecost or something like that, and they came to know the truth of the gospel, so they started telling other people about the gospel. And they just started telling everybody. Now, even though you understand the birth of the church is within the Jewish religion, the Jewish faith, we... We are steeped in the Jewish faith. The Old Testament is the basis of all that we learn in the New Testament. It's being fulfilled even as we speak continually as Christ continues to put his plan together. But at first it was all Jews. Now Antioch was a major city, 600,000 people some say, 25,000 Jews there. And, and so in Antioch itself there would have been all sorts of gods who were worshipped. So if you were part of Antioch, you probably had all sorts of gods that you were worshiping. And so here's this sect, these Jewish people, and they worship one God. And that's, so they're really odd. They don't really understand them, but that's who they are. But there's several people, many people, who see that and think, wow, that's really great. And so they would move and they would become proselytes. They would, Gentiles would go through the process that God had laid out so that they could actually worship alongside the Jews. You see, that's why God set those people aside. He chose them so that they could, they could be an example to the world and the world would say, we want what they have. And that happened through God's hand and his power. So in Antioch, all of a sudden, these people start sharing the gospel with with Greeks as well. And the Lord's hand is upon them, Scripture tells us. You ever think about what that means, to have the Lord's hand upon you? Psalm 139, it says, You hem me in behind and before, and you placed your hand upon me. The hand of God is on you. And I think sometimes we think of it, like the picture of the stained glass window where his hand holds us and and in this gentle embrace and that's true. But we need to remember that the the hand of God is the power of God. That's what that represents. It represents His sovereign power. In Isaiah it says, is the arm of the Lord too short to save? And the answer implied, of course, is no. The hand of God, the arm arm of the Lord. The power of God was in this place and in Antioch and it began to move. And it was exciting. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be there as people were telling others what it means to be saved. Each one of us who took communion can do that because we know that we're saved and so we can tell others how that happened. And as they were telling people, because of the Lord's hand, because it's the Lord who saves, you understand, and His hand was upon them and Many people, a great number of people, believed and turned to the Lord. First time we read that in Scripture, you see, James tells us that the demons believe and tremble. But here it tells us these people believed and turned, repented, turned to the Lord, believed the message and said, yes, God, I exchanged my life of sin for your life of righteousness. And they turned to him. And word got back to the church in Jerusalem. Word got back to the church in Jerusalem and they were like, what's going on in Antioch? Something's going on up there. People are coming to know the Lord and they're, they're Jews and they're Greeks and what's going on up there? We need to know what's happening. And so they look and they say, Barnabas, we're sending you. You go up and find out what's going on. And that's the setting we come into. And as we look at this, what we see is that this big idea, vibrant community that enables the church to flourish and grow, needs encouragers. As we look at the summer of encouragement, as we look at becoming a church that encourages each other to serve the Lord, we need to say, what is an encourager? What is an encourager? Am I an encourager, or what does an encourager look like? There's no one better to look at to see if that's true than Barnabas. Because Barnabas, his real name was Joseph. His real name was Joseph, but he was such an encourager that they called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So imagine okay, that, that we have someone in the church, so we come up and we say, man, Bill, we're not going to call you Bill anymore. We're going to call you encouragement. Because you're so encouraging. And imagine if we had people among us, imagine if all of our names were changed to encouragement. Amen. Amen. But in the while, we'll take a look at the guy whose name was changed to son of encouragement. That's Barnabas. And then we can see, are we encouragers? I got to tell you, as I've gone through this litmus test that scripture laid out for me this week, I found myself falling short. But God's not done with me yet. Right? So here we go. What's the first thing we see? Encouragers see the evidence of the grace of God and are glad to see it. They celebrate. I love this. So Barnabas goes. He's sent up from Jerusalem. And the implication here is that they're, they're a little nervous because this is, you remember, this is all new. This is all new. And, and the Holy Spirit's moving, and the arm of the Lord is here, and the hand of God is on this, and it's exploding. And you can imagine there's these 12 guys, you know, and they're sitting around, they're going, what's happening here? And, and it's exploding, and it's, it's, the next thing you know, it's all over the world, and Antioch is experiencing this. Barnabas, you've got to go up there and see what's going on, because you see, there's nobody sanctioned up there. It's just all these these unnamed people. The most interesting thing about this church that is thriving and flourishing in such an amazing way is we don't even know who the people are who are doing this. See, sometimes we think that the work of God is preserved for extraordinary Christians. It is not. The work of God is given to ordinary people who are open to letting an extraordinary God do extraordinary things through them. Amen? Amen? And and fortunately, that's what we have here. And see, that's what was going on in, in Antioch. These ordinary people were saying, I serve an extraordinary God and you need to know about this. And God did extraordinary things through him. And through them, and so Barnabas goes up and and you can imagine if you were sent into that type of a situation, go and see what 's going on many times when we do that, we go and we see the things that are going wrong don 't we okay if we 're sent we 're sent and we see okay well that 's kind of wrong, and that 's wrong, and that 's wrong because you 've got all these baby Christians leaving baby christians, and it's, obviously there 's things that probably weren 't going all that smooth. Barnabas walks in, and he sees the evidence of the grace of God. And he's glad, period, comma, period. But what it is, he sees the evidence of the grace of God. How many times in my life am I looking with the eyes of God to see the evidence of the grace of God? Because you understand, if you know Jesus as your Savior, He is working in your life. And that's grace. And He's shaping you. He's forming you. He's molding you. He's taking you and helping you to become the person that He's designed for you to be. And there's evidence of that. And encouragers see that evidence. And they say, man, I see the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Then you're like, "Really?" Wow. Karen and I planted bulbs this year. We planted like, I don't know, what, 150, 200 bulbs, okay? And you know, when you plant bulbs, what you do is you open this bag and you take these dead-looking things and you shove them in the ground. You know, you dig a hole, you shove them in the ground, you say, "God bless you." And, you know, and you shove a bunch of dirt on it. And nothing. Right? And then, all of a sudden, one day, you look out, the gladiolia bulbs that I planted, I look out the next morning, and there's this thing this tall out of the ground. Nothing was happening. And then all of a sudden, phew! It's like mushrooms, right? Where do they come from? It's like, boom, and then you got the, you know. See, that's how it is with God in our lives. Sometimes it feels like we're just that dead thing. And nothing's happening and it's just been shoved in the ground with a bunch of dirt on it. But God's working. See, God's doing things. And you're growing and you're being shaped. And then all of a sudden, phew, you pop out of the ground. And see, encouragers see that. Encouragers see that and they see that as evidence of God. Because we trust in God. We trust that even though it's happening below the ground, that God is doing it. And as we begin to encourage each other about how we see God shaping each other, that's what encouragement is all about. How many times has somebody walked up to you and said, I see God working through you in this way? It's evident. And how many times have you walked up to somebody and said that? So are we being good encouragers of each other? Second thing we see, vibrant community that enables the church to flourish and grow needs encouragers. See the evidence of the grace of God. Second, encouragers urge people to persevere and remain true in their love relationship with the Lord. It says that Barnabas, he was glad, and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. See, encouragers come along and say, man, you're doing great. Keep it up. Keep it up. Stay true to the Lord. You see, when you come to the Lord, what you do is you, you, you take your heart of stone and you exchange it for the heart of the flesh that the Lord gave you. And, and you turn to the Lord with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's, it's all your heart. And it's a complete turn. And so many times in our lives, we experience that, that freshness that came from our salvation, but it's hard to maintain because everything in this world, the Satan and, and, and all that we see in this sin-filled world tries to take us away and, and draw us away from the love relationship with God that we've been designed to have. God demonstrated his own love for us that he sent Christ. God so loved the world. The love of God is lavished on us. And when we come to a place where we trust Jesus as our savior, we return that love back to him. And there's an intimate love relationship that's formed. And that love relationship needs to be maintained and many times what that takes is an encouragement to stay true, an encouragement to remain true to your first love. We live in the grace of the Lord and of his power. In chapter 14, verse 22, it says that that Paul and, and Barnabas, when they went out from the church and they went all over, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And so there's this encouragement. We will go through hardships. And sometimes when we go through hardships, we can be tempted to turn away from the Lord. We can be tempted to get angry with the Lord, to blame the Lord, to, to feel that the Lord isn't listening or isn't answering our prayers in the way that we want. And we can be tempted to turn from Him. And many times all we need is a friend to come along and say, you know that we can trust in the Lord. You know that, the, that God is here with us in the midst of these trials. This isn't heaven. When we go to heaven, it will be better, but we can get through this world together. So am I one who encourages others in their love relationship with the Lord by revealing the beauty of that relationship in my own life? See, when Peter and John were arrested and thrown in jail, the men took note that they had been with Jesus. Is it so evident that I've been with Jesus that people take note of that? And does that love relationship that I have with Jesus impact other lives? That's what encouragers do. The third thing we see encouragers do. Encouragers are filled with the Spirit. It says right there, he was a good man full of the Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. He was a good man, full of the Spirit and of faith. See, Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's not fruit you can produce. That's fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in you. Many times we get confused by this. And we think somehow in our old flesh, in our our person, we can produce this fruit. And so we try really hard and we say, okay, I'm gonna be more loving. So today I'm doing loving and I work really hard and I'm gonna be loving in all I do. And I'm working and I'm working and I realize this isn't bringing me a lot of joy. So tomorrow I'm going to work on joy. So joy, joy, joy. And I'm going to have joy. I'm going to have joy. I'm going to have joy. And I realize that in my efforts to have joy, I'm not being kind. Okay, so tomorrow is kindness, 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 kindness. And I'm working so hard on being kind that I realize that I'm not exhibiting any self-control because I'm just running wild. So you see, you can't produce this fruit because it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What you can do is bear it. You can allow it to flow through your life as you allow your life to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with Him, to have a constant filling of His presence in your life. Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, it's an either-or in that verse. And what that verse is talking about, it's talking about do not allow yourself to be controlled by anything other than the Holy Spirit, and it's a choice. And, and if you have an addiction that you're, you know, because drunk with wine, you know, it's this idea that once I drink so much wine, I lose control of my thought. I've given control of myself to that, to that alcohol. I remember when I, I smoked for all those years and, and, and I was a closet smoker and so I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd try to find a place where I could go have a cigarette and, and the very first thought that came into my mind is where am I going to go to have a cigarette because I was controlled by that. You see, you can be controlled by the Holy Spirit in that way. You can ask God, God, fill me with the Spirit. He loves to answer that prayer. You can say, Lord, fill me with faith because Ephesians 2.8.9 tells us that faith is a gift from God and you can ask God, God, fill me with faith. Remember, they came to Jesus and said, we believe, help us with our unbelief. You can pray that prayer. God loves to answer that prayer for, for the filling of the Spirit and for faith. And the next thing you know, you'll become a good man or woman, a kind man, a joy-filled, a loving, a gentle, a person who displays self-control because you've been so filled with the Holy Spirit and faith that your life has changed. Encouragers are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Barnabas shows us. So, is the fruit of the Spirit manifesting itself in my life as evidence of His presence? Now it's interesting when you look at chapter 9 verse 31, chapter 9 verse 31, we're told then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and it grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. See, you're encouraged by the Holy Spirit for growth as it flows through us into other people. The Holy Spirit encouraging through you. The Next thing we see, encouragers look for help and they're selfless. So Barnabas comes along. This church is growing like crazy. Baptism's happening, I'm sure, commercial. We're having a baptism in two weeks. Classes are next week. There's information in the bulletin. If you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus, here's your chance. Okay, so Barnabas comes and he's encouraging and now more people are coming. Now in your flesh, what happens is you say, look at me. Look what I did. See, I came and all of a sudden the church grew a lot better. And Barnabas has got himself all proud and saying, look at, it's all about me. No, see, encouragers, Uh uh-uh, no, they're humble. And what they do is they, they see that and they go, we need help. They're selfless. They're not looking to raise themselves up. They're looking to see who can be a part of what's going on because they realize this is bigger than me. It's not a one-man show. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. An encourager sees that the more we can get people involved in this, the more that we can grow and the more that we can be doing the work that God has given us to do. And so Barnabas sees all these people coming to the Lord and rather than owning them and saying, man, these are mine, he says, wow, we need to get somebody to help. I know. I'll get Saul. I remember Saul. Saul is an amazing teacher. That's what we need here. And so he went to Tarsus, he got Saul, and he brought Saul back. Encouragers are ready to say, I need help. I need help, and I see that you're a person who could help. Will you please come and help? And that's what encouragers do. Encouragers don't try to go it alone. Encouragers bring others in last thing we see, real quickly, encouragers share what they know. They teach. They learn so they can teach. Encouragers are lifelong learners. They help others to become transformed into into developed disciples. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. I love that. For a whole year, they just kept teaching people. For a whole year. For a year. How many of you have been taught for a year? A whole year, right? And what are we doing with that? Each one of us have been taught for a year. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul writes to Timothy, He says, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. I remember I had a professor who was very significant in my life and I wrote him a letter after I finished and I said, I long to be a reliable man who can take what you've taught me and teach it to others. Each one of us in our lives needs a a Paul, someone who's pouring into us, someone who's teaching us. We need a a Paul, and and at least one. And we need a Timothy. We need someone that we're pouring into, someone we're taking what we've learned and teaching that. We need a Barnabas, someone who walks alongside of us and encourages us. And the best bet is to find someone who's not impressed with us because they'll encourage us the way we need because sometimes this is kind of encouragement you need, right? Paul in Romans chapter 15. Let's just take a minute and look at this verse. Romans 15. Verse 14. I don't know if you have this verse marked in your Bible, but it's pretty important. Paul says this, I myself am convinced my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another Isn't that is a significant verse remember that paul when he started this letter to rome he said I, I can't wait to come so that i can encourage you and so that we can encourage each other i myself am convinced my brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness and complete knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I'm convinced of that. I know a lot of you have learned a lot of things. Who are you passing it on to? Who are you pouring that into? See, encouragers teach. Teach. Encouragers share what they know, and encouragers share what they know to people who will share what they know to people who will share what they know, because encouragers encourage people who will become encouragers. Once you've been encouraged by someone, don't you stop to think, man, I could be encouraging someone too? And we began to teach, we began to teach each other, and that's what happened in Antioch. They taught for a year and then they left them to teach. So how are we doing that here? Are you using your home? Are you are you studying the Bible with someone? Do you have someone in your life that you're studying the Bible with? Do you have people who come over to your home? Do you have home Bible studies? That's how the free church was started. Do you have that in your life? You say, I don't know how to do that. Take the sermon notes. Call some people over, look at them. Take the quiet waters. Take it to your house. Look at it with some neighbors. Bring some people in who don't know the Lord. Go on right now. There's all sorts of stuff. You can have people over to your house. What are you spending your time doing? Are are you about Christ? Because what we're about here is knowing Christ and making him known. And the church that displays that in this book of Acts is Antioch. They were so focused on knowing Christ and making him known that in a, in a city of 600,000 people, they had to think of a name. These people were making such an impact in the community that there was no name to explain who they were because all they did, apparently, was talk about Christ. And they talked about Christ so much, it, he changed their lives, and all they did was talk about him, so he said, well, what are we going to call these people? We'll call them Christonians. Christians. See, are you called a Christian by other people? Because that's what happened here. It wasn't that the church said, We're now Christians. No, it was that the community looked on and said, You people are Christians. Does that happen in your life? Is your mouth so filled with the praises of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life that people are like, You're a Christian? That's what encouragers do. So do you see that for us to be part of a vibrant community that enables the church to grow and flourish, and listen, that's what the church is to do, we need encouragers. Each one of us needs to be encouragers. So take the litmus test with me. Are you an encourager? Do you see the evidence of the grace of God? Or are you more tempted to see the negative? Are you urging people to persevere and remain true or do you take a critical nature? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit or are you allowing other things to control you? Are you looking for help and are you selfless? And are are you ready to share what you know? Are you teaching what you know and what you've heard? Because as we begin to do that, and pray for the Lord's hand to be on this place. Oh, are you ready for a revival? Oh, that was meager. Michelle, team, would you come up and sing a song for us? And I'm going to give this congregation one more chance. Are you ready for a revival? praise you, God. Lord God, as this team comes up to lead us in a song, as we stand to declare that to you, God, I pray that you'd hear this as a praise that would Fill the throne room of heaven. I pray that it would be an incense that is a favorable aroma before you. I pray, Lord, that as we sing, you take all selflessness out of us, that it would be absolute adoration and declaration of praise to who you are, to your magnificence. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Amen. Amen.